Welcome to In China with Michelle Zhou. Manufacturers have long known China to be a leader in their industry, but now the world is recognizing China as a business center for companies, market traders, education, and artists. It's no wonder that the economy has grown to be the world's second largest. In our program, you'll learn from the thought leaders and professionals who have lived in both the U.S. and China and continue to do business there. Now, here is your host, Michelle Zhou. Welcome, everyone. It's so great having you here today. You are listening to In China with Michelle Zhou, and I'm your host, Michelle. I'm the founder and the CEO of Pacific Technologies Consulting Group. We help American and Chinese organizations learn from each other, bridge their needs, and grow their businesses internationally. You can contact me at our company website, ptcgconsulting.com, or connect me on LinkedIn. Today we have Dr. Badri Narayanan on the show together with me. I have recently read a report that he co-authored. The name is "Assessing the Cost of Tariffs on the U.S. ICT Industry," and its subtitle is "Modeling U.S.-China Tariffs." I think this is a perfect topic to deep dive into, especially after our last episode on the U.S.-China trade deal phase one. That episode was with Dr. Spencer Cohen. If you want to know more about that, just go to the VoiceAmerica.com or on iTunes, search for "In China with Michelle Zhou." You would be able to find that episode. Here, I would like to ask、uh, Bertie share their insights on how the tariffs imposed by both U.S. and China before reaching the trade deal, what kind of impact、uh, it causing. In this U.S. and China ICT, the information and communication technology industry. So, welcome to the show, Bertri. Thank you, Michelle. Nice to join you on the show. So, Bertri, could you please first introduce yourself to our audience and especially your connection, your knowledge with China? Thank you very much, Michelle. Again, my name is Badri Narayanan Gopalakrishnan. So, and I'm an economist, and I used to be an academic economist for about a decade at Purdue University before. And after that, I moved to Seattle and started my own consulting firm called Infinite Sum Modeling.、Uh, so you can you can look it up at i n f i s u m dot com, infinitesum dot com, and、uh, work on economic modeling and data analytics, you know, projects. For making strategic decisions for companies and policy decisions for the governments and international organizations across the world,、uh, we have a presence in China, Canada, US, and India. That's one of the main things I'm doing, and I'm also a consultant to McKinsey. I do a lot of projects with、uh, McKinsey as a consultant. And in addition, I also hold a visiting faculty position at、uh, University of Washington, Seattle. At the School of Environmental and Forestry Sciences, so I've been consultant and advisor to many organizations like、uh, United Nations, World Bank, and、uh, World Health Organization, Food, Food and Agriculture Organization, and、uh, so on. And I've also worked with many academic institutions,、uh, like I already mentioned Purdue and University of Washington, and also with Harvard University, London School of Economics, and so on. So my main area of work is economic analysis of、uh, public policy in general. And I have developed some global economic models which capture linkages between industries and sectors across the countries. So that is kind of my specialty, and that is the kind of models I be I used for 
this particular study we are going to talk about. So I will pause there. I think that's a brief introduction. Back to you, Michelle. Thank you. Sounds like uh, you've been doing a lot of uh, different things and uh, working with many organizations uh, to help them. So I think uh, in the very beginning, uh, when I opened this, I mentioned this report is published by U.S. Chamber of Commerce. It's about assessing the cost uh, for tariffs on the U.S.'s ICT industry. So why did the Chamber of Commerce wanted someone looking to this topic? Yeah, thank you, Michelle. In 2016, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce came up with a report on the kind of a similar report on assessing the deglobalization and what they termed as, you know, digital diverse. There is a what we today call as decoupling. If that happens between China and U.S., what would be the impact on Chinese ICT sector, information and communication technology sector? And that is something that U.S. Chamber of Commerce released in 2016. And the motivation behind that was to understand the growing, at that point, the tensions between trade policies in U.S. and China were escalating. They were just beginning to be you know, discussed and there were some talks about increasing tariffs, but nothing was beginning to happen. But they wanted to understand what would happen if these tensions become a reality. So that was the context there. And they particularly looked at what would be the impact on Chinese ICT sector. And so that was kind of a starting point. I will come to the details of the study later. But then because of this study and also growing relevance of this uh, tensions between U.S. and China, I mean, U.S. Chamber of Commerce thought that it would be wise to revisit that study and do a fresh analysis, taking all the tariffs that have been imposed now in the sense in 20, 2018. So the study was published in late 2018. So we basically wanted to understand what are the ongoing tariff escalations? What did U.S. do? What did China do? And then they wanted to understand what is how much is U.S. going to lose? So the 2016 report was on potential losses to China. This 2018 report was on potential um, losses to the U.S. And this is all about the Section 301 tariffs on China. So here, we, I mean, U.S. Chamber of Commerce wanted to understand, like, what are the kind of motivations? Why did the governments on both sides start doing this and discuss a little bit about that and then try to understand what could be the potential impact? Because these things were still going on at that point. And even now, we don't have sufficient data to conclusively say how much exactly has this impacted the economy. But we have some models which can actually predict the impact ex ante. That is, before the changes happen, the model can predict that, okay, this is probably what will happen. Uh, so U.S. Chamber of Commerce was very keen on understanding that part. And that is how they approached Rhodium Consulting Group, RCG. And Rhodium in turn consulted me. They asked me if I can do the analysis because the model that I have been working on and, and developing called Global Trade Analysis Project, GTAP, uh, this is one of the most widely used model for doing this kind of analysis. And since I to develop the model in my previous job at Purdue University, I have published many papers and reports uh, based on this. So they learned about me and approached me. And then we decided to do this together. So where I did a lot of this modeling and explained the results and they put the things uh, more in the context of what is happening and wrote up a nice report. 
So it was a good collaboration we had. And that's kind of the high level, you know, kind of explanation on how this thing started. Why did U.S. Chamber of Commerce interested? Uh, later on, I'll tell you the details of how we model and the results and so on. Yeah. So it's nice to have a quantitative way to look at what the impact is. And one key assumption or the basis, as you mentioned, it is before the, the phase one trade agreement. And even with the phase one trade agreement there, I think it won't impact that much because from what we learned last time from Dr. Spencer Cohen, he mentioned the phase one agreement will not lift or reduce the tariffs that has been already imposed. It is just something, you know, from then on, there's an agreement between the two countries on how much China is going to import from U.S., etc. Is that right? Yeah, that's exactly right. And just to put things in context, you may wonder that this study was done almost a couple of years ago, and it was, it was based on the tariff escalations that happened until like late 2018. So you may wonder that how is it relevant today? Uh, given this phase one agreement and also given further changes that have been happening. So my feeling is that, yeah, like I can really agree with what uh, Spencer mentioned and you, we don't expect major changes. It's, it's only about de-escalating further. Like they, they're not going to further increase tariffs after this. So it reinforces the fact that, you know, what we have got is pretty solid so far. It's kind of that is a while. And also, I think, of course, right now at the moment, we have many other issues going on, like, as you know, uh, you know coronavirus, yeah. uh, COVID-19, and that is a whole different ballgame. And actually, currently, we're doing some projects on that. And that is even much bigger a deal uh, because not driven by policy, but by this natural disaster and pandemic. And that is actually much bigger. But actually, this, whatever happened over the last uh, few years, uh, that has already resulted in some kind of partial decoupling between US and China. And that's what our report analyzes. Mm -hmm. Okay, I would love to dive into it and ask you to help our audience understand what's going on and what's the impact. I think the first thing, it will be really helpful to review the multiple rounds of the tariff price between US and China. And what was the goal originally set, right? Because the US started it. And um, what actions were taken during this uh, multiple round? Can you just give us a very quick overview of that? Sure, uh, Michelle. So the U.S. administration, uh, President Trump's administration has been very vocal on the need to curtail dependence on China and also probably use, you know, first of all, restrict imports from China and then make use of the, the leverage they get to basically, when, when you impose the tariffs, the, their hypothesis is that Chinese exporters will suffer and then they will negotiate and they will negotiate that, you know, what do we have to do to reduce these tariffs? And then the U.S. can come up with some strategic points uh, like, you know, intellectual property, you know, currency regulation and a lot, a lot of different things that U.S. has on its agenda uh, about China. And that was basically the initial idea. That was actually the original motivation of uh, President Trump's administration. So in this context, like even in his uh, presidential campaign, President Trump had clearly mentioned that I will increase tariffs by like 20 to 30 percent. And actually, that was pretty much what happened in the first round was in July 2018, basically 6th of July. U.S. imposed 25% tariff on a base of $34 billion in Chinese imports. So basically, they took a mix of commodities that included 
what they called as uh, industrially significant technologies and for them uh, basically they they identified 34 billion dollars worth of uh, products and they imposed 25% tariffs on them 25% yeah, yeah. For the first round of, on the first, uh, you mentioned 34 billion 30, 34 billion dollars of chinese imports yeah so now Immediately, I think the same day or maybe the next day, China imposed exactly the same thing. That is the 25% tariffs on $34 billion in U.S. imports. And that uh, what China did was, what the U.S. did was industrially significant technology, basically more manufacturing-oriented technologies, which are basically intermediate inputs used in production. Whereas what China did was the most of the products that go from U.S. to China are agricultural goods, aquatic products, and auto automobiles and auto parts so china slashed the tariff of 25% on again 34 billion dollars of us imports so this was the second and then this both happened on the first round yeah second round that started in uh, on august 23 2018 us imposed 25% tariffs on 16 billion more in chinese imports so they took some more chinese imports uh, which were worth 16 billion dollars and that was basically what kind of products were they they were the products the chinese government was promoting under various industrial policies basically various policies that promote domestic production uh, particularly you know made in china 2025 there were a lot mm-hmm. of uh, products that were identified there and they came under the 16 billion dollars and 25% tariff was imposed on them So, so what the, add up uh, that's a uh, 15 billion by August yeah, now, right? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we got 15 now. Yeah, and China did the same. 25% tariffs on 16 billion dollars more in US imports. That again, China also reached at 50 dollar, 50 billion dollars imports from US. In this uh, round, China focused on US exports of chemical products, medical equipment, and energy products. And these are also vertical exports from US. The third round happened in the very next month, in September 2018. So in this round, US was relatively less aggressive on tariff, but was super aggressive on the base on, on how many products will be affected. What they did was impose 10% tariff. So that's probably for a lot of us, we thought that was good news. Okay, this time it's not 25%, it's only 10%. But then you look at the base, how many, like what level of imports will be affected? That is $200 billion dollars. that's huge that's that's really huge uh, that's a major part of you know us exports to uh, sorry chinese exports to us and the products included you know tobacco products chemicals and many small manufacturers so basically this was aimed at directly impacting the small businesses in china and chemical manufacturers and tobacco manufacturers who export a lot to the us so to this again us uh, sorry china uh, retaliated but chinese retaliation was relatively mild probably by this time china realized that you know there is no point in going tit for tat and you know, going to the equal level of increases in tariffs so they decided to do 5 to 10% increase in tariffs in different products so it was kind of relatively more nuanced it was not like a random number like 25% 10% for everything kind of thing but it was like more like 5% for certain goods 6% for certain 7% 8% and so on and the maximum of 10% and the base again here was only 60 billion dollars as opposed to the 200 billion dollars that us did in this sense within from july to september 2018 us continued to be very aggressive while china relatively calmed down after that china had reduced its increases 
So in this part, for China, again, China focused on agricultural products, food products, chemical products, you know, textile sector products, metal and electrical equipment products. So these are the different products that China focused on in this last third round. Uh, fourth round uh, at that point was yet to happen, but we still you know, modeled it in our analysis because it was almost certain to happen. Mm-hmm. And that round included 10% more tariffs on 200 billion dollars further in Chinese imports to basically, so so basically that the 10% that they increased in round three, uh, they said they will increase that to 25% if there is no agreement reached after this. So which actually happened and there's no agreement in the whole of 2018 and uh, most part of 2019. So this also was slashed. So basically the 10% that I mentioned in third round, that became 25%. So and then China, after that, China hasn't done much retaliation. So this is where we stand. We stand with this four rounds of tariff escalations on both sides. And I think the broad idea, broad kind of conclusion I can say here is that U.S. has been, as you rightly pointed out, the starting point. U.S. did the initial tariffs. And not only that, U.S. has been relatively more aggressive Mm -hmm. on how much tariff to increase and how many, what level of imports will be affected. Uh, whereas China was exactly matching the U.S. Uh, you know initiatives in the beginning, in the first two rounds. Uh, from the third round, China has become relatively less aggressive and and has been talking more about free trade, the, the merits of free trade and global cooperation, cooperation and so on, rather than just trying to escalate the situation further. So I think that is basically what I can summarize of this multiple rounds of tariffs. Mm-hmm. Well, it's like a ping pong. You hit one, but the other hit back. Yeah. yeah. All right. Thanks for giving us this uh, big picture of what happened. That's just, uh, you know, you see the three rounds happened really fast, right? July in 2018, then August, then September. It just uh, happened month after month. And I remember that it caused a lot of uncertainty for companies that are doing this cross-border business at that time. And I was working with some of my clients and they were like holding on a lot of things because they don't know when this next round would happen and the big impact and the pricing, everything will change. And I also remember reading news about uh, the ships was raising, trying to get to the port by a certain date in order to catch the wave before the price or the tariff increase. That was really crazy at that time. I think it's time to take a quick break. And after that, we were going to come back and dive into it. Are you interested in expanding your business to China, but don't know how to start? Are you wondering how to grow your sales in the China market and win over competition? Meet Michelle Zhou and her team at Pacific Technologies Consulting Group. Our consultants are U.S.-China experts and have all lived and worked in both the U.S. and China with many years' experience in market entry strategies, management and execution. We can help you find the right partners, develop opportunities, and grow your business in China. Please visit ptcgconsulting.com today. You are listening to In China with Michelle Zhou. To call into our program today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to info at ptcgconsulting.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back. 
So before our break,、uh, we talked about the background, right? The why U.S. Chamber of Commerce want to do this report, and we also talked about the different rounds of tariffs、uh, increase between U.S. and China. Now let's zoom into the. Key findings of this report. You looked into the ICT industry, and please help us compare between U.S. and China. What kind of impact all these tariffs, the increase of the tariffs, has caused for these two countries? Yeah, thank you,、uh, Michelle. Again, on our findings, we have. I'll, I'll first、uh, discuss about the 2016 study, where basically we had.、Uh, Focused on the China's the basically two things that happen. One is on China's deglobalization. If China totally goes into a protectionist spree on ICT technologies, what would be the impact on Chinese economy? And and that in that I was not part of the report, but that was done by Rodium, and they came up with a conclusion that there will be like two almost like two percent drop in GDP in ten years if China kind of insulates from Global ICT industry, so it's not just U.S. China, but globally. And later on, they also did a 2016 study focusing on the U.S. economy, and that's what we updated in our study. So, given that China has a lot to lose, it deglobalizes ICT sector. In this study, we focused on U.S. U.S. China, the, all the tariffs that we discussed before. So, in these tariffs, there are two aspects of ICT industry that are affected. One is ICT-related goods, basically the electronic goods, you know, iPhone, all the smartphones, computers, you know, these kind of things. Second is ICT-related services, basically the IT industries, IT services industry, those kind of things. So, in many cases, the ICT-related goods are exported from China to the U.S. As everyone famously, most part of iPhones are produced in the in China, right? And it, that's a classic example of. A major U.S. company, which is like its iPhone, is almost like a you know symbolic、uh, representation of the U.S. in the recent times, and many of us know that most of it has been made in China. So that that itself, you know, that shows you how they are interlinked. So we looked at these kind of goods and also services. So from our results, what we found was that U.S. loses much more compared to China. So the U.S. GDP falls around 100 billion dollars every year. So we did a dynamic modeling. We did we looked at something like impact in 2030. So by 2030, we kind of predicted that U.S. may lose, roughly speaking, around it, it's a range of numbers, but roughly speaking, on an average, around、uh, you know 90 billion, 80, 90 billion per per year. And that actually sums up to around a trillion dollar cumulative losses in GDP. So, GDP. so that's for the eleven years or twelve years, yes. Yeah. So yeah, starting from twenty nineteen. So yeah, actually twelve years. If we include twenty nineteen, it's twelve years actually.、Mm-hmm. So for twelve years, one trillion. One trillion dollar <laughs> loss. Yeah. So it was actually huge, and you know, a lot of people were asking, you know, why is it so high? And we actually looked at everything, and this is very. Conservative. The way we have done is very conservative. We also actually accounted for the fact that the supply chains adjust over time, right? You know what happens is if if it's only between U.S. and China, right? Maybe you know U.S. can start decoupling with China and focus on other countries. So whatever exports that are not being you know, sent to the sent to China could be sent to other countries. Similarly, China could do the same. Whatever exports that are not received by the U.S., they're going to be sent to other countries. 
if we do all these adjust supply chain adjustments are implicitly done in the model but even after that the loss is really high and also we not only this i mean both china also loses a similar amount it's around uh, i remember correctly it was around 700 billion dollars so china also loses a lot but not as much as the us and that is kind of natural because uh, us has been more aggressive right us has increased the trade cost much higher so it's kind of a self inflicted pain in a way so basically us loses more compared to china uh, and globally also because both us and china are the top two economies in the world so there is a global loss which which see something around 150 billion dollars in the future so basically it's a huge global loss and actually as you can also see that the us loss is a trillion dollars but the global loss is only 150 billion dollars that means that there is some adjustment that happened right so some of the other countries can gain a little bit mm-hmm. however the gain by other countries is not as big as to replace or or kind of compensate the losses made by us and china it sounds like the whole pie shrink exactly. <laughs> becomes smaller <laughs> exactly so yeah, in technical terms in economics we say trade creation and trade diversion so trade creation is like you know baking the pie and trade diversion is like putting the pie between people so some can argue that okay yeah let's keep the pie the same and maybe we'll give more to this person more to the, that person right so you can divide it in a different way however what happened is not that even the pie has you know become become uh, smaller smaller <laughs> in the process of doing this we also looked at the countries that might gain a little bit just based on this scenario so we see that canada and mexico can gain a little bit because they mm-hmm. have they can probably substitute some of the us uh, you know china's exports to the us and maybe they can also gain more access to china like whatever us was trading with china they can do now similarly some of the east asian countries can also benefit east asian and southeast asian countries can also benefit like i mentioned initially the motivation why us is doing this right one motivation was mainly to get china to negotiate on some of the terms that us wants to impose yeah uh, and and the second thing is also that us wants to promote the bring back jobs to the us right basically mm. promote manufacturing in the us and actually we interestingly we found that decoupling the trade in ict goods and services or in fact overall uh, trade with china uh, it does not bring much ict manufacturing back to the us what does it mean is that if you do this it is not possible it is not necessary that we will bring back iphone manufacturing back to the us so the iphone manufacturing hubs will move to probably canada mexico latin america rest of east asia southeast asia south asia these countries mm-hmm. they are not necessarily going to come back to the us so we do you know we do see a small increase in the ict production in the us but it's nothing compared to what um, you know people are expecting what the policy makers are expecting policy makers think that okay if It, like, you know it's a simple logic like if you're if you're not importing uh, 100 billion dollars worth of uh, ict goods from china uh, then the policy makers just assume that okay that means that we are going to produce all of those 100 billion dollars in the us so that's mm-hmm. good, good for the economy that is that is a underlying logic even if you see there is there has been a report by the us uh, government uh, international trade administration of department of commerce It's like a 400 page document and they have done a similar analysis actually incidentally with the same model zip model global trade analysis project model which we used here 
and what they uh, discuss there is uh, fall in imports is what they derive from the model and that is kind of similar to what we have we got uh, but then after that they say that okay after this we know what will happen if the imports fall the production will increase to the same extent and jobs will increase to the same extent so so that is kind of an assumption that the policy makers in the us have been making and and our findings do not support that our findings say that no i mean imports will fall but imports will fall from china and overall imports are going to fall overall demand is going to fall and overall production is going to fall uh, overall demand is going to fall overall production can increase a little bit why why does it increase because of the 100 billion dollars that you have stopped importing mm-hmm. you're probably going to produce like uh, half a billion or 1 billion uh, here but the remaining 19 billion is pretty much washed out and and, uh, and maybe maybe 60 70 billion dollars of that is being uh, imported from other countries so this is wow. kind of uh, like like the numbers i gave you are not from the report but i'm just giving you a kind of a perspective right you know uh, if the the imports that imports fall uh, to a certain extent from china it doesn't mean that all those imports are going to be uh, replaced or substituted by uh, domestic production so it, so it mean doesn't mean that fall in imports is going to lead to increase in employment in the us Uh, so that was one of our major findings uh, uh, basically saying that this decoupling is not going to bring back jobs in the us in the ict mm. ict production sector and uh, now uh, just thinking about uh, the tariff started uh, in 2018 now it's 2020 so did you see the evidence that is supporting your side of uh, opinions or supporting the uh, the policy makers side of assumptions Yeah I think uh, we have been um, I have not been very uh, the data is not sufficient yet to say anything firmly like I told earlier uh, but some initial trends suggest that definitely US has reduced imports from China and that is what all of us we have we all had an agreement on that like when we, we yeah, all, there's all some data to show that mm-hmm. yeah consensus on that we, we we see the data secondly we also see that some of the prices are increasing Mm-hmm. and that's because china was an effect, efficient cheap producer of these goods and now we are relying on other countries which are which do not have you know that much of a supply chain for example i have since i'm originally from india and i've been discussing with the industries in india and initially they were quite upbeat about this whole thing i mean they said it's all unfortunate but maybe it's good for us because we can you know produce what china was producing before and the only to realize after some time that you know they have two different problems in indian industry which i think they are trying to rectify over time but the one problem is that the scale in in production in india for these particular these products uh, is not nearly as high as china so the scale is small so they cannot actually easily substitute secondly they also rely a lot on china a lot of lot of inputs of production india and other asian countries also depend on china and people are also worried that if the protectionism is going in this direction it may also at some point bring in the topic of rules of origin so rules of origin means that uh, like it doesn't it's not sufficient that you import from a country other than china but it's also important 
that the inputs of those products should not be from China, should not be predominantly from China. So they, mm-hmm. there are a lot of math going on here. Like they, they may come up with some percentages. They may say, okay, Chinese content should not be more than 10% and so on. So these things can come up in the future. They're not there yet. And actually that is one reason why a lot of Chinese manufacturers have set up plants in some of the Southeast Asian countries, ASEAN member countries and so on. And I think it's only a matter of time when that they also may be targeted. Maybe they can say that, okay, if you have Chinese content, we are not going to buy it. So because of these reasons, there is a lot of constraints, like all these countries, India and other Southeast Asian countries, they are not able to take advantage of this. And because of that, the prices are increasing in the US. Because if you have lower supply, economics 101 tells you that lower supply means higher price. Lower supply, same demand means a higher price. So if the price increases, then the demand falls. And if demand falls, then the economy falls. So we are able to observe these things happening. But there are things also happening in the U.S. economy, even before the COVID crisis, you know, because U.S. has been imposing tariffs also on other countries. Uh, So because of the sustained increases in tariffs, the prices are increasing. And also some domestic production is happening here. They're increasing a little bit. And, And also because of the immigration restrictions, the labor costs are increasing in the U.S. The flip side of it is the wages, the real wages are increasing. So because of that, you know, the income of people is increasing a little bit more and and jobs had been increasing before COVID. Uh, So that's why we see this unemployment becoming historically low in the U.S. So this is all a a result of these policies. But this kind of a boost to the domestic economy in the U.S. is not very uh, sustainable because uh, as the costs increase, because the, the businesses have some a buffer, you know, they, they can absorb some of the price increases in the margins. So they can basically reduce their profits and sell products at the same prices, but they cannot do forever. So at the, at the end of the day, they are going to increase the prices. And when they increase the prices, you, you are going to feel the heat. The demand is going to fall and you'll feel the heat. So in my opinion, based on what I see in the real world from some real data, I feel that the heating started right before the COVID crisis. So because until then, there is because of the tariffs with other countries, immigration restrictions and so on, uh, some kind of temporary boost in the domestic economy has been happening. Also, there is a lot of government spending in the last uh, few years. So government spending has increased and that has you know, kind of boosted the domestic economy in the US. Uh, but none of this is sustainable. And we already see even before the COVID crisis, we st- started looking at reduction in demand, job losses and so on. And going forward, it's, I mean, right now we are in a different world. I mean, I'm, I don't want, want to get into that topic, the topic of COVID crisis. that's so complicated and kind of very clearly uh, everyone is losing in this. But even before that, I think the, these tariffs have been showing um, some negative impact in the U.S. as well. Yeah, we will talk about the uh, COVID-19 in another time. I really want to get to know more about that as well. Uh, let's uh, look at uh, before that, right? Assuming if everything was uh, keep on going as it was, your conclusion is it's hurting everybody, not yeah. just China, but also U.S. And the U.S. may be even bigger impact here. Yeah, exactly. I think the reason is that there is a kind of a technical point, which, which also is practical. And that is China is a smaller economy than U.S. So and that is one reason why China loses less than U.S. But in in relative terms, in the in percentage terms, China loses more than U.S. But since uh, the base is smaller, China is a smaller economy. 
uh, China loses less than the US. But US loses much more, but in percentage terms, it is smaller than China. But we are talking about very small differences, like US losses are like around 1% of GDP and China Chinese losses are like you know 1.2%, something like that. So very small differences in percentage terms, but in dollar terms, US loses much more. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing is the goal, right? If we think back why US is doing this, well, the goal is to increase jobs. Well, uh, from what you just shared with us, it sounds like that goal is not really getting there, uh, even before the COVID-19. It's a, you see a little bit of increase in some parts, but uh, overall, if taking a longer term view, this is hurting on the job side, it's not coming back to the US, it goes to other countries. And the overall economy is shrinking, as you mentioned, that will lose more jobs. Yeah, exactly. I think uh, like policymakers were feeling positive and indicated when they saw this, you know, all time low unemployment and so on. And but I would, in my opinion, that like, what what happens is that when you have what we observe in the economy is a result of many different activities. So it is difficult to pinpoint as to how much of the job changes or GDP changes is attributable to the US-China trade tension, right? So what happened is a lot of different things happened in the last two, three years. One thing is US-China trade tension. Another thing is US tariff escalations with other countries. And the third thing is some boost to the domestic economy in the US with all the tax cuts and uh, greater government spending. So in my analysis, uh, some analysis I didn't, apart from this, like some other analysis I've done, what I find is the boost that the US government gave to the economy um, has been pretty strong. Like uh, that, that is actually very positive. Like the, the, all the tax cuts, corporate uh, tax cuts, and even the payroll tax cuts that they've been thinking. So all these things have been very positive. So my take on this is, yeah, it, it is actually positive. The effect is positive, but the positive effect is coming from the domestic reforms, the tax tax reforms and so on. And if we did not have this all these trade tensions, we would have been uh, looking at a more positive outlook. We would have had uh, much more jobs, much more production, much more demand. So that is the context in which I say that this has all these trade tensions, relative job losses, relative decline compared to a scenario where you have all this boost, uh, domestic boost happening, supported by the trade boost, right? We want the domestic policies to be further boosted by the trade. But here, what happened is domestic policies were going in the right direction with all these positive changes, and the international policy has been going in the opposite direction. So if you're gaining uh, X dollars here, you're cutting down some Y dollars because yeah, of- Offsets. Offsets. Exactly. You're offsetting the gain. Exactly. That's the right uh, word. So yeah, that's what I'm saying. So you, one can argue. Uh, so this is a point of argument. Like some, some people can argue that, you know, we did all this, but we, we, we are doing well. Now. We are doing better than 20 years, 30 years ago and so on. Um, but then I say that, yeah, there are some good things you did and uh, they are domestically oriented. And yeah, we would have been in a, in a much better situation if the trade was also done in a good way. That's my take, like, because a lot of people, particularly from the government, they may kind of criticize the pro-trade you know, researchers that, you know, you, you guys said we are going to be doomed, but we are doing well, right? But then you say, no, we agree with you. You're doing well, but that's not because of, because of this. You cannot attribute your doing well to the trade tensions that is attributable to your other 
uh, you know, stimulus and the good policies you did at the, at the domestic level. So yeah, that's the kind of disconnect. Probably it may look a little uh, technical, but I think it is, is very important to understand how there is a tendency to confuse the, the positives from domestic policies with negatives from the bad trade policies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. All right, let's take another break. And when we come back, I really want to hear your advice to professionals, business owners who are in the ICT industry. So what can they do, right? Give you this current situation, something practical so that they would be able to plan and take actions on. China is now the second largest economy in the world. There are hundreds of opportunities for worldwide business professionals to start looking in China. From business leaders to manufacturers to artists and students, you need to discover these opportunities to grow your business and your career. Listen every week for In China with Michelle Zhou, Thursdays at 4 p.m. Pacific Time and 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. For business sake, you need to tune in. You are listening to In China with Michelle Zhou. To call into our program today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to info at ptcgconsulting.com. Now, back to this week's program. Now we're back. Now, let's really zoom into the very practical advices to our professionals, businesses who are in the ICT industry. What can we do given the current situation and how should we plan for the future? Yeah, I think uh, it's really a situation where nothing much is in our hands, right? These are all happening at policy level. So what we as individual companies and professionals can do, if you are running a Chinese uh, like a business with a lot of Chinese transactions in the US, then I think one way to continue doing your business is to, in China, basically, we have to think about further cost reduction because the tariffs as we say, they're increasing like 25%, right? And if we can reduce, and if we can reduce our costs to some extent, maybe find out suppliers who are in locations in China which are much cheaper in terms of labor cost and capital cost, material costs, and so on. I think that would be one way to do deal with this tariff increases to continue our trade. And second, for the Chinese producers, there are some alternatives which I kind of indicated in the previous few minutes which is basically move their production to countries like maybe some of the Southeast Asian countries or maybe I was in uh, Mongolia last year and did some projects with them on their, they are working out a deal with uh, China, right? China-Mongolia free trade agreement. And there are, they already have some cross-border uh, production zones. So these are some of the opportunities. Maybe Chinese companies can establish their production in kind of this border area so that, you know, it's logistically, it's not very challenging. So it's still almost in China, but it's, it's in, uh, happening in another country and then it can be exported from there. So this is something that is already happening. A lot of uh, Chinese producers have been kind of working around the situation. And there, I think, closer they are to China, the better that is. Like, well, I think Mongolia is a good example or or maybe... Vietnam? Yeah, 
yeah, yeah or some other that, countries nearby some other countries yeah some other near nearby countries yeah yeah some other southeast other southeast asian countries so that is one idea another thought would be to basically understand all is not bad news right so there are some there are still a lot of uh, chinese right there i mean at, at the moment at least after the january agreement one thing we all can breathe peacefully is about no more commodities are going to be imposed tariffs you know right now uh, mm-hmm. from now on so another strategy is for the chinese businesses and also the us businesses and professionals really do some due diligence look at what are the different products where the tariffs have increased what are the products have where the tariffs have not increased can we actually diversify our production can we go move to those new kind of products and china has this amazing ability of producing almost anything they have such a manufacturing powerhouse that you know they they can produce even things that are indigenous to other countries like when i go to some tourist spots i see some of the souvenirs which which are supposed to be local but they're all made in china right so so china has this ability to manufacture pretty much anything so i think it it will be a nice thing to look at those products for which the tariffs have not increased and kind of move away from the regular products and move towards that so these are some and then also same goes for the us exporters i mean i've been talking mostly about the chinese exporters and the us importers but how about the us companies that are exporting to china uh, they also have to be thinking more about these other products which are not being tariffed by china china is not imposing tariffs so i think that's that's another thing and also again the us also can us producers also have an option of moving to canada or mexico and that way they can you know bypass the the tariff they can still us canada border is pretty open so maybe we live in seattle if companies in seattle some they set some offices in vancouver you know they can still trade well with china right so these are some low hanging fruits they can try so basically what i'm trying to say is look at the products that are not imposed tariffs on both sides and build your businesses more on those so gradually build your business on those sides secondly use the advantage of proximity to other countries so you move some of your production to other countries so you don't face the tariffs so i think these are two and i think your question was particularly about it and i i whatever i told you so far is in general and they also apply to it goods particularly if you're thinking about it goods electronic goods this is very relevant because this is all about manufacturing when it comes to it services i mean they're not directly affected right there there is no tariff on it services anyway yeah. but there are i think one very important thing they can do is to directly address the the concerns of the government which is national security ip innovation and so on so maybe if the companies particularly uh, the ict companies can come up with self voluntary standards and regulations saying that see we you can check our processes you can check our procedures what we do we absolutely take care of national security we absolutely take care of ip issues so if that can be reassured by both the chinese companies i think mainly the chinese companies and the us it professionals working with chinese companies that can go a long way i think it's it's kind of a voluntary confidence building kind of measure so i think that uh, on that we can all play a role all of us as even consultants professionals all of us can play a role in that in facilitating that to happen people among us who are kind of it consultants or other consultants we can actually work with the chinese companies to make these procedures more transparent and work more on the ip compliance internally uh, i think that will be like a very good sign if we can show that then we can actually say that the whatever the us government is saying is 
taken care of. There is no conflict. We are all in agreement with each other. Why, why, why should we fight when we all, we all agree with each other, right? So that kind of thing. So I think that can happen from a bottom-up kind of thing. Like all of us, when we as individuals do that, then that can go to the highest level. Wow, that's very helpful. We can be a little bit more proactive versus just uh, being a victim in this situation. Exactly. Um, yeah, and I know you have done a lot of uh, different research and uh, consulting with companies, uh, with other businesses or organizations. I think uh, you also mentioned in your introduction that uh, you have a company. The name is very interesting. I like the name Infinite Sum Modeling. And can you tell us a little bit more about uh, what other things you've done related to China and how that Infinite Sum is able to help in different ways. Yeah, actually the name of our company is very relevant to the discussion we just had now because you know we always think that things are zero-sum, right? If uh, US is imposing tariffs on China because US thinks that China will lose and US will gain. Uh, China is doing the same because US will lose, China will gain. So we always worry about the zero-sum thing that if somebody wins, somebody else loses. But our motto is like we all are in the business together, uh, if uh, you gain, I also gain. So all of us, all the stakeholders gain together. There is no losing and gaining here. I mean, like gaining at the cost of losing and so on. We can all grow together. So that, that is the kind of motto. And on the kind of work we have been doing, we have been doing a lot of uh, different studies for the governments, international organizations and governments. And this is one example we discussed today. And in addition, I've done some work on the integration trade, the positive things like regional comprehensive economic partnership, if that becomes the big deal, uh, how will that affect, like, how will the trade policies that are positive, like opening up trade, uh, how will that offset uh, some of these losses we are facing? Like if China integrates more with the rest of Asia and Pacific, uh, will that be enough to uh, offset the losses with the U.S. Uh, trade tensions. That is another study I did. Uh, we, we did as a company uh, along with the United Nations in Bangkok. And we That's actually... That's a very found... interesting topic. I would like yeah. to know more about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll, uh, definitely we can discuss on another uh, occasion. We have also done a lot of work on um, some agricultural policies in China, within China. As I told you, we have our office in Beijing and, and our Beijing office has been doing a lot of work with the Ministry of Agriculture in China and also with the State Information Center and, and also with some private companies there like uh, Joint Cheer, which is a tax consulting company. So we have been developing some models for uh, tax policies in different provinces in China. How would these tax policies uh, be affecting businesses in different ways and so on? So it's not only trade, but also some of the domestic policies. And we also looked into some of the sustainable development goals and their relationship with the economic policies. So if you have more regional integration, or more uh, trade opening up, uh, how will it affect emissions? And what will happen to the trade in renewables? And, and also the Paris uh, Agreement, or what is what would be the impact of Paris Agreement on Chinese economy? So these are all some of the studies we have done. And we have also been working on the kind of thing that I mentioned in the last question uh, about how to help the individuals, businesses, like I've been talking about all the big studies with the governments and so on. Right. How about, what about the businesses, right? And we are very interested in that. We have been working on that. So first of all, we are developing a product which can demystify all these things. We can actually show like a, a nice visual interface 
in which you can understand what is the impact of some ongoing policies or ongoing changes like maybe even pandemic and all these changes on different industries what will happen to uh, the gdp what will happen to different industries and then i if for example if i am a textile producer i am looking at the interface i can see okay i am a textile producer in sitting in um, in china and i want i'm exporting to us i'm exporting to eu and other countries now i can see my this this visual interface to understand under what under what scenarios in future which countries will be major destination of my products so you can actually plan okay if because of the trade tensions in us maybe us is not a good destination but then tell me what are the other destinations so then the interface can tell you okay these are better and similarly it can also say which are the products for which the us demand will not fall so you can actually uh, look at those products and you can focus on them so it can be very helpful for strategic planning and this is a very this is an initiative that is very close to my heart because, so but I, what i feel is the small businesses are the ones who are actually left out of uh, all this process because they can neither influence the decisions nor can they mitigate nor nor would they have the information to act upon right because they are focused on their day to day activities they don't know they don't have time for strategy strategic thinking and and, and and they are very vulnerable they are more vulnerable when policy changes right exactly they are much more vulnerable because of the lack of information because of the lack of influence and because of the lack of representation they usually they are not represented in the discussions right so that is why i'm thinking of uh, we have been working on these products which which are kind of more like they can be distributed on a subscription basis or something at a very low cost so that you know they can just look at it understand it and then if they feel that this is precious and useful uh, they can seek more advice so So that is another specific uh, kind of idea we have. Thanks so much. I really appreciate all the information you shared with us and uh, I also look forward for future episodes, interviews with you so that we can get more out from that. Sure. So thank you. It was a pleasure you know, talking to you Michelle. Thanks for this opportunity and I look forward to many such collaborations episodes. Thank you. Okay so to our audience today we have talked about the cost of tariffs on the US and the China ICT industry. If you want to know more information about our guest Dr. Barry Narayanan you can find him in their company website he just mentioned Infinity Sum Modeling. The website address is infisum.com. You are listening to In China with Michelle Zhou. I would like to talk to you again next time. Thank you for tuning into In China with Michelle Zhao. Please join us for another edition next Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time and 4 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll talk again next week.